So I thought we'd start with the new Harris Poll. Um, the National Kidney Foundation worked with um, the Harris Polling Company to get a sense as to awareness among Americans concerning kidney disease and, and the relationship between kidney disease and, and COVID-19. Well, that's a really interesting um, poll, and I, I, I'm really glad that the National Kidney Foundation did work with them and develop this poll, because I think it's useful for us, um, because it, it, it shows us that clearly the public is incredibly attuned to issues around COVID-19. Um, and they were, you know, I think the number was that 87% um, of them also supported the federal government devoting more resources um, to the diseases that are associated with COVID-19. However, one of the things that was very much lacking and it showed a big gap was the average person just did not have any concept that kidney was an important issue like what's going on, acute kidney injury was prevalent with COVID-19. Only one in five, about 17% of all Americans were aware of this connection between acute kidney injury and COVID-19. And that, that tells us we've got a lot of work to do in getting the message out about why it's important um, for all the things that we've been talking about in these podcasts, you know, like research funding, all of those things are just really important, and it shows that we really need to bring people along. Yeah, I was also struck. I mean, the media has done a remarkable job of covering both the fact that people with kidney diseases and kidney failure, kidney transplants are more susceptible to the virus, but also this link with, with acute kidney injury. So it's not a shortage of press coverage or, or media discussion around this issue that made me wonder you know, how else are people getting their information about um, COVID-19, the pandemic, the response from the healthcare system, and you know, what role can an organization like ASN and, and then the broader community play to, to try to increase this awareness? Well, you know, it seems that it's been a, there's been a lot of coverage to you and I, Todd, because we, we are tuned to it and we see it. And anything that relates to kidney, we're going to see. And that's probably very true with all the listeners uh, today. But it's not true for the rest of Americans. And they watched in horror as the situation unfolded in New York with the idea that there would not be enough respirators. Uh, and that one was a, it was a very visceral reaction to that by, by people. They could just imagine what it would be like not to be able to have that life-saving technology available. Where we've always gotten kind of, where, where it got kind of murky was we talked about um, things like CRRT replacement. Uh, you know, CRRT machines, and, and people I don't think really would, would they wouldn't catch on to what that meant. And I don't think really, as much as we've talked about kidneys, the link between acute kidney injury and COVID-19 has really been, even when it's talked about, it, there's a lot of conversation about not being understood, um, or even the idea, which I remember talked about a lot, is not being sure whether this is acute kidney injury or whether it is complete failure and whether or not people will regain function. You know, I think the other issue that, that's coming, um, there was a, I just saw an, uh, a PBS NewsHour survey that talked about, um, you know, had data on how long rural hospitals can operate with the cash they had on hand. And, you know, my mom retired to New Mexico and just to use New Mexico as an example, um, that the hospitals there, the rural hospitals there, and that's most of them, uh, it's eight days of cash on hand, and, and you just sort of think about that. And it's another element of this that I think 
policymakers, but also our community are going to have to navigate. Yeah, and New Mexico has had some particular challenges with COVID-19. Um, so that's that's not surprising. I, I saw that it was focused recently on um, the cases near the Navajo Nation as one of the most difficult spots going on. And the other one was right here um, outside of D.C. that they focused on, and it was Prince George's County um, in Maryland. So there, there's a lot of both rural and urban and also more minorities. So there's a lot of, as always in healthcare, um, it's complicated. Yeah, and, and you know, I think this discussion is we're starting to get into the different parts of the country and, and places where there may be enough coverage, both from the workforce but also from supplies and, and equipment. Um, you know, there are real a lot of activities related to visas, immigration, the the workforce, particularly the physician workforce. Um, I'm wondering if you could just give us a quick update about all the things that are happening in that arena. Okay. Now, stop me if I go too fast, because I've, I've got several things, and I want our viewers to hear it and not have to spend half an hour to get to them. So I'm going to get straight to it. Um, we have a program called the Conrad 30 program, which most of our listeners all know about. That does provide J-1 visas in the Conrad program, and 30 of those spots for every state. So you're talking about 1,500 physicians um, across the United States. That was originally just uh, more general practitioner medicine, but specialists have been allowed in the last couple of years. Um, so one of the things that's happened is that members of Congress, and we had supported their effort in doing this, uh, particularly led by Senator Amy Klobuchar, um, have lobbied the government and talked to them about releasing some of the requirements or waiving some of the requirements for these visa holders so that they can do things like move across uh, an area and like work for another area where the, let's say there's a COVID-19 hotspot. Because with these visas, you have to work where you were signed and what was part of the arrangement when you got the visa. Um, that's all done contractually between the hospital and the government and you get this visa and you have a guaranteed place to go work, but you're not allowed to go work anywhere else. So freeing this up and, and the Trump administration has begun to move on this and is lifting restrictions. So this is something that we were very glad to see. Um, and it, it's just, a, it's just a reality that we have to deal with these in the workforce. Uh, the Association of Medical Colleges estimates our shortage of physicians could be between 46,000 and 122,000 by 2032. Um, and we don't know exactly what the impact of burnout from COVID-19 is going to be, but it's, I don't think it's going to be insignificant. And we've been hearing it, and we've been hearing it a lot from a lot of our younger members as well, um, who have been on front lines about how tough this has been. So that is going to make a change that will help people with those visas. At the same time, we have endorsed a piece of legislation that is highly bipartisan in the Senate, and that is called the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act. And we are getting contacts from our members in email and calls, and there's a lot of them urging us to go ahead and, and get behind this bill, which we are already doing. Um, so knowing that one-sixth of our healthcare force is born abroad, um, this one does what it tries to do. It, it, I don't want to get too complicated, but Todd, do you know something about the way we allocate visas by country? Um, in the United States, we have kind of a 
a program. Correct. I do understand that. Okay. I think what's, what's important is the fact that there's sort of an all, overall number of, of visas and then they're allocated by country under a whole set of criteria. And so that's created some challenges in terms of um, how responsive the system can be based on demand. Set of exactly. Summary. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's a really, it's, it's really critical, particularly when you get certain countries. Um, so, for example, India. Um, in nephrology, there are very many um, people who are of Indian descent, born in India, who practice nephrology in the United States, um, as, including our president, the ASN president, Dr. Anupam Agarwal. Um, but since there's so many people practicing nephrology from India and only so many slots allotted to that country, that means that many of them have very, very long periods to wait to be able to go from an, either a J1 or a H1B to what we traditionally call a green card here in the United States. We have other countries where there's not that many people applying for those visas, and therefore they are sitting there unused in this esoteric sense. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's all in, in created within a system, but they're sitting there unused, and so this healthcare workforce, Resilience Act, was, during the public health uh, emergency, would take those, and what they call is recapturing them, and they would be able to recapture up to 25,000 immigrant visas for nurses and 15,000 immigrant visas for physicians and be able to redistribute them throughout to the workforce, throughout the workforce of people who are probably mostly already here with H1B1 uh, or H1B or J1s and, uh, and allow them to move on to full status. When they get the green card status, they can practice medicine anywhere in the United States where they're licensed. Uh, where the license will allow them. Um, so therefore, you're able to move the workforce around and really respond to the impact of COVID-19. And we're all preparing for what may be a tough fall and tough winter. And uh, we're going to need every man, woman, and, uh, born in the United States or born elsewhere um, who is a healthcare professional to be able to face what we need and to be prepared. And so this would make a, this would really actually help without changing the number of really people who are immigrating to the United States in total um, to be healthcare practitioners. So this is an interesting bill to watch. I think this bill has got real potential. Uh, it's got two. Um, it's got two Republicans: David Perdue from Georgia, Todd Young from Indi Indiana, and two Democrats: Dick Durbin from Illinois and Chris Coon from Delaware. Those are pretty senior members, and they hold some heft. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed this one could move this summer. And I should say before we move on from these these first two um, workforce related activities that both Senator Young and Senator Durbin have been hugely supportive of the kidney community um, working across all the major issues, including around um, transplantation and really trying to help with um, policies and legislation that would improve um, care for people with kidney diseases, kidney failure, and then, as I mentioned, the transplant community. So I'm struck that, that the Conrad 30 is really a regulatory activity where, where the administration is taking an existing program and making it more flexible. Um, and then the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act is a legislative approach that seems to have bipartisan support and a real chance of passing. So kind of both, you know, two of the three parts of, of government really working together to, to the federal government working together to move this forward. 
what else is happening? What are the other activities that ASM is involved with related to visas, immigration, workforce, et cetera? Well, um, as you know, ASN is a member of the Council of Medical Specialty Societies. Um, as a matter of fact, you currently are serving as their president this year. Um, and so there's a letter that went uh, from a good number of those societies uh, to the members of leadership of Congress, to Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House. Um, and the letter asked for a more flexibility and more prioritization of bringing healthcare professionals um, into the United States uh, through various venues, as we've talked about, to assure that the, the, that the visas are, are there and are being made a priority for physicians uh, and nurses, um, and also that they are being able to expedite these um, applications and extensions and changes that we're talking about here. As, as much as possible. So it kind of dovetails what we were just talking about. It's, it's basically, we're asking the Congress to make sure that they keep the pressure up to make the regulatory changes and that they do their part by passing bills like the Healthcare Workforce Resilience Act. So uh, thank you for shepherding that through CMSS. And I think, I think AMA has a letter coming, had a letter come out too, didn't they, Todd? That's right. So it's interesting because CMSS, as we've talked about before, is kind of a United Nations of medical specialty societies where you have one society per specialty. Um, the AMA is, is broader and also includes the state societies. In fact, the majority of their members are, are state medical societies. And so to have both CMSS and AMA essentially advocating for the same thing, which is, you know, we really need to address these concerns around the, the workforce and do everything we can to um, overcome potential barriers related to visas and immigration is pretty remarkable. And then when you, you know, add what you said earlier about both the, the, the sort of regulatory and legislative branches of government are, are working on this as well, there seems to be a lot of unanimity and, and commonality around what are the potential solutions and, and how important these are, issues are given the, the current pandemic. Yeah, I think there's some, there's really a lot to what you just said there um, because I think that there are, there are areas in which so much of internal medicine is coming together uh, and making these requests um, that it's really getting to the point where I, I think that that's uh, probably one of the biggest impacts with the regulatory environment and the legislative environment is they're just seeing such a unanimity um, in terms of what the requests are that they really feel compelled to observe them and, and to make them happen as fast as possible. We've had the same thing with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services a lot, and um, I've been quite amazed at actually how attentive they are to everything and also the kidney issues where the kidney community has been speaking in a very uniform way about the issues that need to be addressed um, through the regulatory process. And we'll, we'll talk about that in upcoming podcasts, but there's been a tremendous amount there and we are working on trying to figure out which things that have been waived or granted during this emergency period that we really would love to have a conversation with the regulators about keeping uh, long-term and which ones probably will be something that will be with us for quite some time. And so I think that has a lot of potential for it as well. So I'm excited about where we're going and I'm excited about the conversations we're having. Um, we still have a big challenge here. We all know that. And so um, I'm not saying I'm excited about COVID-19, but I'm co I am encouraged by the way in which 
we are coming together as a society and beginning to deal with some of these really big issues. Yeah, so in closing, I think you've, you've done a really nice job of, of teasing what our future conversations can address, which is really where do we go from here? What's likely to be the next set of policy discussions, which will be both responding to the current pandemic, however it evolves over the summer and the, the fall and then the winter, and then probably next spring, but also what are some of the policy discussions that will be longer term? Well, as always, Todd, I enjoyed our conversation. Be safe. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.